Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. The glorious world we're going to enter into, either at the point of rapture or at death and ultimately at resurrection, man, it has nothing in common with this life except we'll be in it and conscious there. The bodies we receive so much greater than these. Why? These ones wear out. They decay. They get sick. They die. Those bodies fitted for eternity. In part two of Tried and Tested, we take up where we left off yesterday in verse 22 of Matthew 22. The Pharisees are reacting to Jesus' answer regarding paying taxes to Caesar. But that's not the only question our Lord answers in this chapter, so let's listen in as we study the rest of them. Well, we find yet a third response to the Lord in this passage down in verse 22 where it says, When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Some were indifferent, others were hostile, and some marveled. And I'm wondering among those who marveled, how many were convicted of their sin? How many confessed and repented, turned away from sin and began to follow after him? Because it says they left him and went their way. And I think it's possible for us to be sincere, to be the real thing, real Christians, and be amazed by the things that the Lord does and, and the things the Lord teaches, and yet not always deal with the issues as they come up. So my heart, and I hope yours, is, is as the Lord speaks to me, I'm like, Lord, I am convicted and I do want to change and I want to be more like you and I want to be more fruitful for you and faithful to you. So Lord, work in me, work in us. Well, the next day, the Sadducees, verse 23, who say there is no resurrection, came to him asking him. Now, before we see what they're about, you got to know that they're really trying to do the same thing the Pharisees were trying to do. And it's sort of like, well, you guys blew it big time. Watch this. You know, we can do better. If you're unfamiliar with the Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees who accepted all of the word of God and all the word of God taught, they believed in angels. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in eternity. The Sadducees didn't believe in any of those things. In fact, we have a play on words, and you can help me out. That's why they were... Sadducees. See, so many of you know it, and those of you don't, you got to know it. That's why they were sad, you see. Because they didn't have a hope of the resurrection, because they didn't have a hope of a, the world that we're going to live in with the Lord and enjoy the feast and fellowship we'll have with Him for eternity. Now, they rejected all but the first five books of Moses. Not entirely or completely, but when it came to Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy said, that's the word of God to us. But then the prophets came along and they said, well, we're not sure about this prophet or that prophet. We're not sure about this. They sat in judgment on the scripture that was meant to sit in judgment on them. And a lot of people make that mistake today. That seminar, they called it the Jesus Seminar. And I mean, I just think they should call it anything but that. They were trying to determine a group of scholars, as it were, which things Jesus said in the Bible, as recorded in the Bible, were actually spoken by Jesus. And you know, they came down to just a few phrases. They weren't sure about those, but they thought he might have actually said some of those. Listen, 
This is the word of God recorded for our learning and our admonition. And when people sit in judgment on it, instead of letting it have its work in them, well, they're doing the very same thing that these guys were doing, either indifferent or hostile or amazed, but nevertheless unchanged by the word of God. Well, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him asking, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, then the third, even to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, they are pointing to an extreme example. We don't know if they made it up or if it actually happened, but we know they don't believe in the resurrection. So they're trying to point to the absurdity of the idea that there's going to be this resurrection. And what are you going to do with situations like this, Lord? I mean, how are you going to deal with this? She was married to all seven guys. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Now, there are a couple of mistakes they're making. And there are other implications of all this. One of them being that they're assuming that the resurrection is just a continuation of life as we know it now. Like we just, you know, we die and then we're resurrected, but we're pretty much the same and life is pretty much the same. Nothing could be further from the truth. The glorious world we're going to enter into, either at the point of rapture or at death and ultimately at resurrection, man, it has nothing in common with this life except we'll be in it and conscious there. The bodies we receive so much greater than these. Why? These ones wear out, they decay, they get sick, they die. Those bodies fitted for eternity, created for eternity. And everything will be perfect. I'll never have to say, Father, forgive me, nor will you. We'll never have a sinful thought or a sinful idea. We'll never have a, a sinful act. It, temptation will no longer be a part of the program. And so, so it's a whole different world couple other minor implications, but for some of us, it's important. You know, in those days, many marriages were arranged marriages. Today, we're mostly concerned about who we're going to marry. So a man sees a woman, he's attracted to her, and, and you know, he pursues her. And sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes you think you're pursuing, and you find out she actually started the whole thing, and you had no clue. But... But in any case, in those days, if you understand all this, and it was the law... If a man died without producing an offspring, his brother was supposed to marry the widow and birth a child with her. Here's why. That would keep the brother's name alive. They would name the child after his deceased brother. That kept his name alive. That kept the family line going, that part of the family. It also secured his inheritance for his wife and, and, and any daughters he might have, any other children later. And so, so the, the security... For the family, the, the keeping the name going, the keeping the land going, all of that stuff tied into this law. Well, the implications should be obvious. If we were living like this today, we would be more concerned with who our brother was marrying than who we were marrying. Because if anything happens to him, well, there we are on the hook, you see. So in those days, I'm thinking brothers really hung close and no, I don't think you want her, you know, and that kind of thing. So... 
anyway, the Lord goes on to deal with this issue. Jesus answered and said to them, and by the way, this answer addresses so much confusion in our day, mentally, morally, spiritually, financially, just about any mess you find yourself in. Well, it can really be a result of these two things. He says, you are mistaken or you err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Do you know the reason God commands us to study and show ourselves approved is because there have always been those come coming who say, thus says the Lord, who weren't speaking for the Lord. Just this last week in our local newspaper, I read of a local minister who had voted in his denomination for someone in his denomination to be, well, accepted in the pastorate, in the priesthood, or whatever their particular, you know, title for that role is, who was a practicing homosexual. homosexual. Now, this guy says, and I read the article, and I was just like, I'm... I'm Sometimes I'm not shocked, but I'm still surprised because here's a man, he's been to seminary, he teaches the Bible, he's got a congregation, and he says, well, I didn't find Jesus saying one negative thing about homosexuality. I want to tell you something. Even if Jesus never singled out that sin, if he never did, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, like all sin, condemns it. And, and when someone says, well, I can't find anything, and they're the pastor... How important is it that the congregation's reading the Bible for themselves? And you got to know, even though I'm studying to show myself approved and doing my best to rightly divide the word of truth, you are charged to be like the Bereans, who are more noble, we're told, than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with readiness of mind. That means they kept themselves attentive in the study of God's word, and then they searched the scriptures daily, to see if those things were so. It's so important that we all know what we believe and why we believe it, what the Bible teaches and, and why we, we say these things. You see, they were mistaken and many today are mistaken not knowing the scriptures. And there are many who are always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Everybody's reading and using the Bible. The question is, are we actually learning the Bible and responding to it? They were mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, they didn't know the scriptures. Remember, I mentioned it, because for one thing, they neglected and rejected a whole lot of the Old Testament canon. They decided, well, we're sure Moses is from God, but we don't know about the rest of all of this. We don't agree with a lot of that stuff. And then he goes on to say, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. That's sort of a, you know, good news, bad news. If you got a struggling marriage, it sounds like good news. No marriage in heaven, you know. Whew, at least, you know. But if you've got a really great marriage, it's kind of like, man, that sounds like bad news. I love my wife. I, I, I love our relationship. I want to be with her for eternity. No, here's the thing. Marriage is for this life. And the life we're going to live after this life, it's so different from this life that whatever our relationships to one another, they'll be better than our relationships now. God isn't going to change or take away anything that he doesn't give us something vastly superior to it. 
So he says, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus really does two things in saying this. First of all, he quotes from the part of Scripture that he knows Sadducees accept. He could have quoted from the prophets, but he knew that they didn't accept the prophets. So he said, going back to Exodus, to something they knew well, something they believed was from the Lord. He said, I'm the God of Abraham. Now, the reason he quotes this is God didn't say, I was Abraham's God and I was Isaac's God and Jacob's God. If they had died and ceased to exist, well, then he'd say, yeah, I was their God and now I'm your God. But he says, I am the God of Abraham. The implications are clear. He, he's saying Abraham's still alive and conscious. Isaac's still alive and conscious. Jacob, still alive and conscious. In fact, I can't wait to get to heaven and sit down with these guys and we will have opportunity to. And I'll be able to say, man, Abraham, father of the faith, how awesome you were. And Isaac, you weren't really as together as your dad, but you're, you're a great example, you know. And, and Jacob, man, you blew it, didn't you, you know. You were just a mess. And, and uh, thanks for all the things you did wrong so that I knew not to go that way, you know. But... But the truth is, these guys are alive and they will be in the kingdom and will be in the kingdom with them. So, so he says, listen, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then yet another response. When the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. I hope you are. I certainly am. I am blown away by the way our Lord deals, how graciously and how, well, wisely he deals with his enemies. Graciously in that he's not just trying to blow them away or blow them off. He, he's trying to pull them in. He's trying to correct and redirect them. And he's trying to do that in our lives as well. Well, when the Pharisees heard, verse 34, he'd silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. you got to know, even though the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus too, they had to find a lot of pleasure in seeing the Sadducees literally muzzled. That word silenced in the Greek is muzzled. And I'm thinking lots of Sadducees, well, this was probably a common one. They're like, oh yeah, you Pharisees believe in the resurrection. Well, what do you do with this? You know the law. They'd probably heard this story over and over and never had an answer. Now they hear the answer and they're like, yes, I knew we were right about that. But the problem is their hearts still aren't turned. And so the Pharisees, having heard he silenced or muzzled the Sadducees, gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now I know it says they were testing him, but there's a part of me that, that can't help but thinking, this was a question they really wanted the answer to. It wasn't just a trap. Yeah, a test maybe, but, but not like the earlier questions, you see, because this is a question they had been struggling with, debating, discussing, well, for decades. Basically, in their day, the scribes who spent all their time in the Word had come up with the fact that there were 248 affirmative 
precepts in Scripture. There were 365 negatives or commands, don't, you know, stop or, you know, that kind of thing. 613 commands in all. And they come and they say, which is the greatest? Now, Jesus' response, it applies to them, it applies to us. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The law, well, the first table of the law, the four commandments relating to our relationship with God. Hey, if you love God with all your heart and soul and mind, and as one of the other gospels says, and strength, well, you're not going to make an idol or bow down to it or serve it or worship it. And, and that's what the first commandments were, were forbidding. Any other gods before him, idols and such. But... The second table of law dealt with our relationships to one another. And if I love my neighbor as myself and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, well, you're not going to steal from them or lie to them or, well, there won't be worries about adultery or other sins like that. Why? Because love is the greatest possible motivator for right relationships. Far greater than fear, far greater than any other possible reward. No, love. And here's two things I'm absolutely convinced of. You will never be able to succeed in the second greatest commandment unless you're succeeding in the first. You will never love your neighbor as yourself if you don't first love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And you will never love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind until you know how much he loves you. Our love for him is a direct response to his love for us. We love him because he first loved us. That's the testimony of Scripture. For God so loved the world, He gave. He demonstrated His love by sending His Son to die for your sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died, He was buried, He rose again, He ascended. And it isn't over, you see. But, but here He says, love the Lord your God with all that's in you. And love your neighbor as yourself. These two, all the law, and the prophets. That's what the prophets were trying to say. The Lord loves you. Love the Lord in return. There's one other thing I've got to share with you before we look at the concluding little section here and, and end our time together this morning. When Jesus is restoring Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, and there's so much more in that passage, but for our purposes, Peter affirms his love for the Lord. And then he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. What is Jesus saying? That our motivation for ministry, my motivation for ministering to you has got to be not just love for you, but primarily love for God. And here's why. Most of you are easy to love. I got to be honest with you. You're just a blast to be around. I love this fellowship. I love you guys. But not all of you are that way. I got to be honest. And uh, I'm not going to point any fingers or anything like that, but sometimes you can be a little unlovable, you see. Now, that's not most of you, and if you're one of those people you always feel guilty, I'm definitely not talking to you. 
But what I am saying as a parent and as a pastor is my kids aren't always as grateful as they should be. They're not always as generous generous as they should be. They're not always as, well, anything as they should be. Nevertheless, God says, I want you to love them unconditionally, sacrificially, practically. And he says, and I want you to do it because you love me, you see. Because if, if my motivation for ministry to people, even my own children, is my love for them, well, they can try and test that love. But nothing will ever try or test the love that God has for me. It is a perfect love. And so if my ministry isn't based on love for people, though he says I must love people, it's based on love for him. Well, it will be able to be consistent even if, even if that what's coming back isn't healthy or isn't fruitful or isn't pleasing. If love for him is motivating you as a parent or as a person, you're going to be a good witness in this world, see, because you're going to say, Father, I just want to please you. However they respond, if it be positive or negative, if they're indifferent or hostile, if they're amazed or Whatever their situation might be, whatever their response might be, I love you and I'm going to do what you call me to do. Well, our last point is this. The Pharisees gathered together. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said the son of David. Now they knew this. The Messiah had to be a descendant of David, a son of David. So he says to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If David calls him Lord, how then is he his son? Now, they have no clue how to answer this. In fact, it says, No one was able to answer him, not a word, and nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. But but here's what Jesus does. He affirms three things as he shares and then quotes from Psalm 110. He affirms, first of all, that Psalm 110 was written by David, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, and then he tells us it's a messianic psalm. It was pointing us to the Savior, to the Messiah. And the question is, how can the Messiah be David's son and be his Lord? You see, this is the father saying to the son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How can that be? Well, Colossians says all things were made by and for Jesus. And we know from our study of the beginning of this gospel and the others that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Did he pre-exist? You know he did. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. It was through the mystery of that virgin birth, that miraculous incarnation that Jesus became one of us. And then he lived among us and he lived a sinless, perfect life, died a substitutionary sacrifice, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven where this is being fulfilled right now. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. When will that happen? Hey, read the book of Revelation. That's when it happens. God is going to once again pour out his judgment on a Christ-rejecting world, on a God-rejecting world. But we'll be with him 
in glory. So the picture is, and the answer is, the reason he can be David's descendant and David's Lord is he created David. All things were made by him and for him, yet he became one of us, lived among us, died for us, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is in fact coming again where we will sit down with him and feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. How amazing, how wonderful God's word to us. I love how at the end of chapter 22, the Pharisees no longer dared to question Jesus anymore. However, it's important for you and I to know that there's nothing wrong with questioning Jesus. We're allowed to do that. It's just how we deal with the answers we get that's critical because every answer we get from him and his word is going to be truth. Now, truth can challenge us and truth will liberate us. And there is only one truth. And that is the truth of God and whatever it is that he says. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico. And you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.